0: James, it's so good to be back in the Third Men podcast. Oh, oh it's like a warm blanket I wrapped around myself. Oh <laughs> just gonna let that hang. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the Third Men podcast. This warm blanket that Paul is currently <laughs> sheltering himself with is is now warming you all out there in the radio universe. Enjoy our shared warmth. Yes. I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. I'm your other co-host, James Kaminsky. This is our Jack White History Podcast, where we go over Jack White History and songs and music and TV and all that stuff. And we we pick a new topic every week, James. Yeah, we roll it up into a ball that we like to call the Third Man Podcast. And then we turn it sideways and we stick it straight up. you candy cane children. <laughs> you guys remember The Rock? Yeah. Or, or, or what I was going to go with it was a more gentler approach of tossing it to you in a nice game of catch paul's paul's gone a little extreme off the reservation here but <laughs> folks you know what i'm getting at <laughs> i'm off the reservation so this episode it's gotta be a little different we took some listener questions and we're gonna discuss them we're gonna try and answer most of them if we can so it's gonna be a little bit of a looser format this is something that you're probably not used to if you're a current listener of the show but if you're new to the show don't be surprised if it's not like this next week <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a real shock to the system I I assure you yeah. Right, like a blunderbuss to the chest Yes Listener questions, James, that sounds very exciting I am very excited to dive in here We got a lot of good ones Yeah But first, I think there's something we really should be oh, doing Oh man, Paul, we've been, we've been doing it since we started Let's stop breaking, now. breaking down Breaking Stop breaking down
1: down. Stop breaking down. Please, please
0: stop down. Paul, do you want to explain to these fair listeners what stop breaking down means? Yeah. Stop breaking down is when we f up and we get told that we did that. And we are corrected. And you know what? These things are gonna happen. Where I'm off the reservation, Paul's on the loose. James is shooting people with a with an old timey blunderbuss in the chest. There's a lot going on, okay. And sometimes we get things wrong. But what we have this stop breaking down segment for is a chance for us to either correct ourselves or to have you, the listener, correct us for us. It's always appreciated, and it's never an insult, and we want this feedback because we want to be as right as possible or as factually correct as possible whenever we can. Yeah, be. we're on a journey to learn as much as we can, and we can't learn unless we know when we're wrong, and we always stick it right here at the beginning of the show. Yeah, it's it's really instilling confidence in our listenership. Thank you all for sending in your, your Stop Breaking Downs. Uh, we, we very much do appreciate it. Lots of good Stop Breaking Downs this week. When I say that, it is to say we screwed up real hard hard repeatedly (laughs) yeah the first stop breaking down paul i i just want to say i'm very sorry because this one was entirely my fault in episode what is it 18 18 episode 18 uh, get behind me satan part two it's got some interesting information there and an interesting rag and bone in which get behind me satan album cover appears on the gilmore girls yes and i incorrectly said that the gilmore girls was created by Fast Talker himself, Mr. Aaron Sorkin. It is not. Yeah, which a quick Google oogle turned up to be a thousand percent false across the board. Like like it couldn't have been more wrong. I mean, they talk fast. Yeah. And that's his deal. But yeah, uh, that's about all it has in common. Yeah. Gilmore Girls was created by Amy Sherman Palladino. And that is just a gross oversight on our part. And we could have easily looked that up and we're sorry guys that was dumb so yeah he definitely wrote the newsroom (laughs) that we have we can confirm live for you now newsroom aaron sorkin gilmore girls paladino yeah so Sorry about that. Yeah. James, it looks like we have a bunch more here. So let's just let's just tick these off the list. We have Eucrid Succotash via Facebook. Uh, Eucrid has, has found some stuff for us in the past. We really appreciate that. Points out, and this was near instantaneously, I post the show at 6 a.m. and then I kind of go back to bed for a little while, wake up and see if anyone has commented. And it was instant from Mr. <laughs> Mr. Eucrid Succotash here, telling us, pointing out very... I would say accurately that Instinct Blues has definite sexual overtones which we completely ignored in over. Yeah. We were uh pretty pretty clueless considering that it is about sex. Sorry we didn't, I mean, we didn't mention it. But we, it's not yeah. we we went over some other aspects of the song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, the, sometimes a rose is just a rose except when It's Charlie Rose, in which case... (laughs) But he actually says, like... So, yeah, okay, we get it. It's, yes, sex in there. Whoopsie doodle. Thank you, Eucarid, we appreciate it. And then Callie Durga on Facebook was so, so kind to point out. Also, same episode, episode 18, we talked about how the White Stripes had the world's fastest concert, and I had mentioned incorrectly that they had the Guinness record for fastest concert, and I was wrong. They did not. In fact, there is a whole thing about how they didn't get into the Guinness Book of World Records. Oh, boy. Now, didn't he wind up getting into the Guinness Book of World Records later? Yeah, with the world's fastest record. With the world's fastest record. 2014, Record Store Day, Jack White and Third Man Records succeeded in delivering the world's fastest studio to store record to fans in Nashville. That's right. I remember that very well, actually. I remember watching that on my lunch break at work, wishing I was there. Mm. 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 I say Yes. Mm. Oh, yeah. Three pretty obvious strikes out. Strike them. Strike them out, out. Strike them out. Strike them out. Reverse touchdowns. The un-goal. It is as if we took the gold net and wrapped it around each player so they were <laughs> unable to move. That is the... <laughs> How far we've reversed the goal process Right, here. it's like we shipped the entire team off to another country to play in the wrong game. Yeah. And they, they shot all the goals, in fact. But it was just not the game they should have been playing. No. And it, the whole no, crowd no, no, was no. mad they, because no. it was a soccer team and this was inside a hockey rink. Yeah, lest we get into the Icelandic basketball team fiasco. Right. <laughs> so this has been Stop Breaking Down. Stop like that, gonna bust your brain. Your mind lots wrong this week james but uh there's only one thing to do in the face of all that wrong and it's to get right we gotta answer some questions so got a lot of great questions here james we're just gonna it's good we're gonna keep it loose and keep it fun yeah keep it loose paul how, how you been how you been <laughs> how's stuff so loose for keeping it yeah i'm good i'm good yeah yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, yeah, it's a pretty good week, you know? Looser. <sighs> have a good dinner? You eat? Uh, I, have, uh, I have stir fry on the oven. I, I mean, I feel a little insulted that you didn't ask how my day was. You, you know, I'm keeping keepin it real we're loose. We're keeping it very loose. But there has to be some structure, Paul. There's got to be structure. It's a tit for tat. James, how is your day? It's fine. Yeah. Sean Lorraine asks, are there any other bands you guys are really into? <laughs> directed at me and Paul. Paul, any other bands that you're into? Yeah, this is a very good question, and I've written a detailed list. I have detailed files. (laughs) You know, James and I are kind of like uh, foodies for music. I call them noties, like the little notes. Yes, I try and listen to a lot of different bands. You know, sometimes we fall into that trap. Uh, James, I don't know how you feel about that, where you sort of start with an artist and kind of just get sucked up into that artist and don't really explore outside of that artist's sort of sphere. So I try and do my best to break that whenever I can. But it's hard. We all have our comfort zones. I think, James, you know, it's fair to say we both grew up on classic rock. Yes. We mention it very often. Our father instilled in us a militant pride for the Beatles. (laughs) Yes. Our father, who was a very big fan, passed that along. Never forced it, but it was definitely around. And so, you know, I think we both sort of took to that at a very young age. And a lot of the other groups that he was into we sort of found ourselves listening to as well, particularly when we were younger. Not all of them, I would say. And James, sometimes you and I had sort of differing bands we kind of gravitated towards in which we didn't you know like the standards i think we can all agree on that we listen to like the led zeppelin's of the world uh the stones the who dylan the band cream credence bowie the doors elvis pink floyd simon and garfunk you know you, you the usual suspects is what i'm saying yeah i didn't really explore all of them as much as you probably have paul but i definitely touched upon most of those in my musical progression Appreciation. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, I would go through phases with certain things. Like there was a long time where I didn't really get the Who, and then like sort of around two thousand eight, I was like, oh, that's what they're all about. I get it now. Yeah. It was the one with the beans that did it, wasn't it? No, <laughs> it was Who Are You? I, I, Sister Disco and Trick of the Light is on that I one. Remember, I remember. I have a very fond memory of you being super into the line "Air Conditioned Gypsy." Oh yeah, from Going Mobile. That's a good good tune.
1: I'm yeah,
0: you went into a deep dive based on that line and that line alone. Yeah, well, sometimes it's a line that'll allow me entry into an album. Sometimes it's a line, sometimes it's a song. I think you can relate to that. Like with The Doors, LA Woman was the thing that opened that whole thing for me. Like, I guess the album, but really the title track and. The Changeling. Oh. I still don't like Jim Morrison's like beat poetry, but when they get into a groove, I really love it. Yeah. L.A. Woman's the first Doors album I ever owned, and I bought it in an attempt to learn about the Doors because I knew they were supposed to be good. It took until a hungover 3 a.m. drive home... <laughs> Uh, before I understood the tours, because oh, that was on yeah. in the car. And I was like, I get it, man. Yeah, <laughs> Riders on the Storm, man. Yeah, it's not the same for me, L.A. Woman. And then from there, I went to the, their first album, which is also awesome. Mm. And like with Pink Floyd, it took hearing the album metal before I really kind of got Pink Floyd. That's a weird choice for Floyd to get into them on. It's like listening to I Koda know. out of Zeppelin and being like, that's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't. I couldn't tell you why I don't think if I try. I mean, I I, I digress. But then, James, there are kind of some non-super traditional classic rockers that I gravitated toward. I know you gravitated towards some of these T Rex, Donovan. I think we both went down a deep oh, Donovan yeah. hole. We, <laughs> we dove um, right down Donovans. <laughs> Yeah, the Almond Brothers, uh, Bad Finger, I, I threw the breeders in there because I really do like their stuff, although I'm kind of a novice with them. There's somebody I found via Courtney Barnett she's a fan and she did some recordings with them, but Springsteen, The Cars, ELO, Harry Nelson. I put Klaatu in here because I really do love them. That's sort of like the one area of Prague that I can kind of wrap my head around, James. I think you fell down a further prog hole than I did. I did in certain respects. There's a lot that I really haven't gone into. But you got into Yes, right? I did get, I got deep into Yes for a little while there. And we both got into Umphreys McGee, who is another kind of jam band, (sighs) prog rock band. Yeah, I I did have Umphreys under other stuff, but yeah, Uh, we did. We had a great time at that show, too. But if you can consider Rush prog rock alan parsons project i've never done that dive i've never at all it's tough at first at least it was for me the more i listened to it the more i got it and the more you uh, listen to it while you're looking at space the better it is whoa if you're just staring up at the night sky Paul. <laughs> <laughs> oh man hey, yo swag stars are beautiful man yep <laughs> it's like what are we even doing on this planet you know We're just like creatures, you know? Swank, this is the most you've ever talked to me. What is talking? It's just like your throat meat flapping. Yeah, it's definitely throat meat. Swank, your words hit me right in the heartbeat. (laughs) This is so weird. This is a weird episode, Paul. This is really weird. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say the monkeys, okay? I love the monkeys. I don't care what anybody says. I appreciate a good pop song. James, you and I both sort of got into sticks. I think you were into sticks a little more A little before I was, I got into it sort of later because I wound up seeing Dennis DeYoung (laughs) live and I was like, this guy is the Riverdale TV show of people. He's insane and I love it. I got like a little too into The Grand Illusion. I friggin' love that album. It's good. Yeah, it's good. They're good. It's good. It's like dumb arena rock, but it's good. The Trogs, I threw on there. I like the Trogs and the Association, those kind of groups. there's sort of more one-offs. And I I just, as I mentioned earlier, a soft spot for pop songs. You know, I love ABBA, all right? I'm not afraid to admit it. (laughs) That's good, Paul, because most people are. (laughs) I don't care, you know? And what I would say with that classic stuff, that's what made me appreciate Jack White because Jack White, I always felt like, and I think we've talked about this on the show too, is just an extension of those kinds of bands, not ABBA, but Zeppelin, The Stones. We we described him once as sort of a snowball rolling down a hill, picking up influences and sounds as it went down. And I feel like you could find a lot of those groups we just talked about in his music if you look hard enough, you know? Yeah. Are there any other classic bands, James, that that uh, you were into? Queen. I definitely got really into Queen for a little while. Yeah, Jazz was the album that opened them up for me a little bit, but I, I guess I'm just not the world's biggest Queen fan. My love for Queen and for Led Zeppelin both helped me connect, at first, with my now wife Ariel, who we we bonded over our love of queen and led zeppelin anyway uh so yeah those those were some of the big ones Uh, billy joel the cars that kind of stuff too even even weird stuff like men at work was in there oh yeah billy joel is one where i you know it's funny i just listened to the stranger and i was like i know all of these songs and i i can't believe that album had so many hits on it, it's kind of nuts. I'm not sure he's one of my favorites, but I do like him. If it's the choice between him and like a Bruce, I'd go with a Bruce. But Billy Joel can write a hell of a pop song, and I do, I do appreciate that. Yeah, and even uh, Carol King too was a, a big one that yeah. I've gotten into more recently, but always had listened to. So with modern groups, I sort of excluded Jack related bands for this question, although for the purposes of this being a Jack White podcast. Jack White related or tangential bands, my favorites are definitely The Kills, Margot Price, Courtney Barnett, the Black Bell slash Olivia Jean and Brendan Benson's stuff. I'm all of all the different groups he's worked with or all the different people he's collaborated with those were the greatest for me additions that I gained from his stuff although I do like some of the other stuff yeah you know? I think the same goes for me I like Pokey a little more than you do I believe yeah I think there's that and I'm, I'm starting to take the turn into Blanche Greenhorn territory yeah I never could take that turn. Although I have a feeling once we do a show about it, I'll probably gain some appreciation for it. Now you like Karen Elson a bunch where I wasn't that impressed. Yeah, it's definitely a subtler type of music for the most part. Cruel Summer. I really like that song a lot, uh, even though it's kind of depressing. And then the kills, like you said, I got I got deep into them. Thanks to you for getting Sour Cherry on a mixtape that you gave me at one point. Yeah. That turned out to be one of the more coincidental mixtapes you gave me because we didn't realize sure. the, the, the Allison Mossart connection to Jack White at the time. 2008 was a big year for music for me. I really, it was the first year I sort of left home and started working and was living by myself. And consequentially, I think I took a deeper dive into new music than I normally would have. And so the Kills just happened to be in there. I had no idea the connection that was about to happen with Jack and Allison. Although now looking back, I can now see, oh, okay, well, that's why I liked it to begin yeah. with. Because they are of similar minds, you know? Right. And then I'm going to see them in March in Anaheim for their 15th anniversary show and I'm very excited about that anybody else going to that show hit me up let's hang out let's grab a beer and talk about how awesome Mouse and Moss are is. yeah so like other bands non-jack related like there's a few standouts for me I'm on a big Rilo Kylie Jenny Lewis thing right now I just I love her brand of pop I, I find it great but I also have that kind of a pop streak in me as as we sort of talked about I love The Bird and the Bee I don't know if you ever heard them James but You've they're you played me a couple um, of their stuff Yeah, it's sort of like pleasant pop. Yeah. I would put Passion Pit and maybe like Sister Sisters in there with them as sort of similar groups mm-hmm. but i really love them and metric is a huge one for me i really like metric although the albums following fantasies always fell short because that's a hard album to live up to it's i would consider fan metric fantasies maybe a perfect album so yeah i mean i got that sort of side and then i also like some avant-garde stuff the fiery furnaces james i'm not sure if you ever heard of they're really good. They they put out this awesome EP called EP, mm. and it's amazing back to front. But it's it's absolutely insane. It's really avant-garde and takes a while to kind of get into. Um, so I'll just I'll mention a couple more here. James, you got me into Lemon Jelly. I still listen to that album you sent me with uh, all the saw oh, swimming, swimming in, in, in the, the water. Lemon Jelly is great. If you guys are unfamiliar with them out there, please go listen to Lemon Jelly. They're no longer together. They only have a few albums. But yeah, I feel like Synth Stuff, they're they're really solid on that. And then The Avalanches are another one I'd recommend in that grouping. A couple others I wanted to mention in, the, in that vein, Fantagram. I love them. They just put out a new album. And there's a group called Why, which I really love, who are, again, sort of in that avant-garde vein. Their album, Alopecia, is another one I'd consider a perfect album. Hmm. Bell and Sebastian, the Blow, Broken Social Scene, Elliot Smith, Jeff Buckley, Freeze Pop. You know, I was just sort of rattling off all the different ones that I kind of liked. I, I, a lot of these haven't put out albums in a while. Amelda May is still very active. She's in that Psycho Billy whatever scene. I'm not really into that stuff too much, but Amelda May gives a nice pop flavor on that. So yeah, yeah, and then I I think I took a grunge turn, which you did not. So I went with the Stone Temple Pilots, Your Smashing Pumpkins, all that stuff. Pearl Jam. Yeah, you got heavy into Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, that, that was an angsty teen, Paul. As angsty <laughs> teens will do, they listen to Billy Corgan. So I hear. But uh, a couple others, uh, slightly more modern acts. Sunflower Bean is a new group, which I really like. James, you got me into the Coat Hangers, which I love, yeah, actually. Good, pu- good punk band. Very lo-fi. Yeah, real crazy rock. Car Seat Headrest is okay. I feel like they have a little more drawn, slightly more hipster circles than I'm in. But they're pretty good. It's a band called Mystery Jets. I really like, too. Some hip-hop stuff. She's from Brooklyn. Xenia Rubinos. She's fantastic. It's got kind of a funk, hip-hop kind of vibe to it. Aesop Rock, Homeboy Sandman, Run the Jewels types. James, you like indie rap and stuff like yeah, that, too. Run the Jewels and Black Milk. I have a close friend who is constantly feeding me new new rap to listen to. But he got me into Run the Jewels actually before the Jack White connection started happening. He was really into Run the Jewels, he was really into Killer Mike. Killer Mike, actually from Outcast. I think I just smelled that fast. <laughs> and then LP. They were both old head rappers who met up thanks to Cartoon Network and they've been doing they've been pumping out like great album after great album after great album. Here's the album. Eh? 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 Run the Jewels 3, which just came out for free, like, I think it yeah. dropped on Christmas or something, uh, was excellent. Do you know what an album drop is? A bunch of people from The Office went to go see them last night, and I'm super bummed I didn't go. It was 30 bucks, and I was like, ah, I've seen them already, and I should have just gone. It was a mistake. <laughs> uh, Vince Staples and Anderson Pock are sort of newer acts that I'm, I'm kind of into. That's solid hip-hop. M.I.A., I always have a soft spot for her. Mm-hmm. I have some jazz that I kind of enjoy, like Ahmad Jamal Trio, Coltrane, those kind of guys. Um, there's a new group called Bad Bad Not Good who are really good. And Freddie Hubbard is, is, is another one of my favorites there. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention in my other soft spot areas uh, She and Him oh. uh, because I, I love She and Him. I own all of their records, and I love them maybe a little too much. <laughs> well, yes. Zoe. We all yeah. love Zoe, did you know? She's quirky. As far as rap goes, Childish Gambino would be another one. Yes. Cool. Well, hey, that's a lot of groups we covered, James. (laughs) Yeah. So I hope that clears up what we like. Yeah. Uh, If you want a simple answer, the Beatles, Paul McCartney. Oh, yeah. That's what we're really deep dive into. So, Paul, you want to hit me with that next question? Um. James, (laughs) James, <laughs> hey man, yes. those are some tasty ass your questions. Oh. Paul, these listener questions are very tasty, but you're gorging yourself oh. on them. Mm. You've got to mm. stop. Oh, the tasty questions. Um, Paul, I mm. think we should move on to another question, don't you think? Yes, James, let's move on to another question. Which one do you want to hit? Daniela Pinos Pinque asks, how did you come up with this idea? And what motivates you to keep doing the podcasts? On nights like tonight, I ask myself the same question. Well, uh, Daniela... We are having endless trouble right now trying to record this podcast. Yeah. But, I mean, your question's really twofold. How did we come up with this idea? I think, James, it started with a text message on the the information superhighway. Navigating the information superhighway, it won't be easy. All that fancy new technology won't amount to much unless people can really put it to use. That's right. We were surfing on down those tubes. Yeah. Uh, Radical... Radical dude. Well, many high-tech pioneers are hard at work right now doing just that. It was the day Acoustic Recordings was announced, mm-hmm. and I texted you, hey, Acoustic Recordings was just announced, we were talking about it a little bit, and, and then we were just like, we should just put this on a podcast. And I think I threw that out at you, and you were like, without even asking, you were just like, yes. Yeah, I forget exactly what was said. It's saved in our phones, I'm sure. True. I just don't feel like scrolling up to find it. It started like that. It, it, you know, I listen to a lot of different music podcasts. Uh, shout out to something about the Beatles and the Fab Four Free For All. Those are both really great shows. And so when I asked James about it, I was like, hey, you want to do this? And James very rightfully said, yeah, well, that sounds really dry. And so... The, we sort of started formulating the idea from there, right? Because we we also love comedy podcasts. My brother, my brother, and me. The Dollop Adventures, Judge John Hodgman, yeah. all the maximum fun comedy stuff we listen to a lot of. But yeah, we wanted to make sure that we could do do something that had. A touch of musical history, as well as a touch of uh, some goof ups you know? Yeah. Some, some some clown horns. Right. Here and there. Yeah, it was a combination of the two, and I think we were feeling our way throughout it, at least in those first four or five episodes, before I feel like we really understood what we were doing in terms of like what the show was. You know, it started as just James and I bouncing back and forth, and honestly... I had just moved across the country uh, to Los Angeles, and this was part of James and I just trying to stay in touch with each other and keeping communication and to have an excuse to talk about music and stuff, which we would have wanted to do anyway, which we had been doing anyway when we lived closer. Mm-hmm. So when Paul lived an hour and a half away from me, you know, every few months I'd drive over there and go, hey, Paul, let's talk about this, this list of stuff that, <laughs> that I've been tallying. And so when he moved to Los Angeles, I couldn't just drive over there. I'd have to wait for one of us to fly over there. And the list of stuff that I had to talk about yeah. got a little too long. Yeah. Oh, me too. I, I kept having these things like, oh, I want to talk to James about this Jack thing. And then it just it never yeah. materialized. So this, this was a perfect excuse because it's the 21st century and no one does phone calls anymore. Right. So, <laughs> so then we had phones this. are dead. <laughs> so then we were like, all right, well, what are we going to call it? And we kicked around some names. And I was like, well, we'll call it the Third Men because that seemed to be appropriate. But it seemed weird that there were just two of us. We asked Mike to be our third like our third person, and I don't think he thought we were serious, because he said no. He admittedly had a busy schedule, and he didn't think he'd be able to do it on a weekly schedule like we're doing it, which I get. It's tough to stay on a weekly schedule. Uh, which dovetails nicely into what motivates you keep doing the podcast. It is a lot of work, actually, and feels like a... At the very least, a part-time job at times. We both work full-time. Yeah. It is actually a, a huge undertaking, particularly a weekly podcast. I mean, we were originally going to keep these to a tight 45 minutes, and then we, we were just mm. doing too much research, and it wound up ballooning every episode to over an hour and a half. Right, which uh, to, to some people's excitement and some people's, I'm sure anger yeah. i don't know anger and extreme <laughs> but, alienation <laughs> yes right we spend the better part of 12 hours on an episode and you tuck that into our already busy schedules yeah it's it's tough but we we do it because honestly the response has been overwhelming and and overwhelmingly positive yes as well as being able to talk to Paul more and to be able to talk about the thing that we uh, obsess over <laughs> a little too much we get to talk to you guys uh, out there in, in, in the fan community. And, and honestly, we were a little disconnected from that before this stuff. We were trying, but it wasn't something we were inside of yeah. uh, at the time. So so I feel like we're, we're getting better connected.
1: Which permits people separated by hundreds of miles to collaborate on projects.
0: Yeah. And, and honestly, to add to that, what motivates me for wanting to do these is like no one else is doing it. Whenever we pick topics and James and I have a master list, and we go down and we pick these topics, I'm like, oh, well, I would listen to that. And oh, I I would listen to that. Like, I would listen to a show about Robert Johnson. I would listen to a show about Poké Le <laughs> And so basically, uh, speaking purely for myself, I like to make these things because I want to listen to a show like this. So uh, by all means, somebody else, please take the reins and free us of the shackles. <laughs> I think that's the qualifier for, for any episodes that we edit. We say it's passable once they're something that we would like to listen to jokes that we find funny that that no one else would Carl Butterball (laughs) (laughs) or Satan James, which James hasn't listened, uh, by the time of this recording to the Robert Johnson episode yet, but, Oh, Oh, he's all over that one. A little too much. I'm sure. So to sum it up and to circle back a bit, you guys are the ones that motivate us to keep going primarily because we really love the feedback so keep keep sharing the show keep getting the word out there and that's really the I think one of the primary motivators now James I have to ask you can I pick mm-hmm. the next tasty question because I got a whole bag a whole. of questions here <laughs> He's like a, a, a Question monster I Long question a short question Question monster Would you like to ask the next Next question You disgust me question monster Get out of my Get out of my house Get out of my ears Paul G. Smith asks, when is Jack White's next studio album coming? Odds of another White Stripes Racks album? Let's start with the odds first. Yeah. White Stripes, I think the odds are... None. Nil to none. Yeah, I think we might see maybe a reunion performance and in a really low key setting, perhaps at third man later on down the line. Again, this is all purely wild speculation, but there is precedent. They got together for Conan going off the air. I think as more time passes, it's actually going to get more difficult maybe for Meg to re-engage in the music world because she's been so disconnected. I do think the odds of another album are really slim. I think he's honestly just outgrown the White Stripes. Yeah, I think Meg is just trying to live her life like normal now. I mean, the photographs of her after the stripes are so few and far between. I think everybody is trying to keep her a secret and everybody is trying to keep her safe. So I don't think it's going to happen. But again, wild speculation. I can see 20 years from now them doing some kind of reunion interview, maybe, I don't think, or even like a small one or two song concert. Yeah, I think maybe even sooner than that, man. I think you could see possibly as early as five years from now. I think you hit the nail on the head, Paul, when you said that Jack has outgrown them too. He loves his fans. Yeah. For sure. Mm -hmm. He definitely tries to do right by them, but at the same time... He's not trying to specifically please his fans. He's trying to do what is best for him artistically, I think. And I don't think it would be of any interest to him, honestly, unless he's out of ideas. Uh, The White Stripes set out to accomplish a goal, and they did. And the fact that we got cool stuff like City Lights this, last year and stuff like that, I think hopefully there's a few more of those things in the mix that we might see. He was talking uh, at the Grammy ceremony that he he was just receiving that special production engineer award, something like that. He said something about record something and erase it. If it wasn't good enough, you erase it and it was gone forever, which is something I think uh, it's, it's uh, becoming few and far between in the in the newer generation where you can record a million times and just keep all of them. Uh I still work that way. I hope that's hyperbole. I really do. The existence of things like city lights and and stuff like that tell me that it probably is hyperbole. He probably does have a probably a literal vault uh, as opposed to the one on his website with a lot of stuff mm-hmm. in there waiting to be released. What you might see from the stripes is an unreleased songs album uh, maybe catching some of them singles stuff that was never commercially released on an album itself talking about lord send me an angel you know released as a single that kind of thing hands Mm -hmm. handsprings and then the countless other tracks that are just floating around in the bootlegaverse. i am looking at songs a lot of covers things of that nature Ooh, my soul Songs like Red Bird, Looking at You, Small Faces... China Pig. Those things were never collected on an album. Even things like Let's Shake Hands and Lafayette Blues were only on an album by virtue of the Japanese release of the White Stripes debut album. And so, like, I bet you what you could see is a cleaned-up White Stripes vault-style release that that may even be commercially available and marketed perhaps as a, as a White Stripes catalog album. I could see that happening, is what yeah. I'm saying. A B-Sides and Rarities album would be in the realm of possibilities, you know, something like the Beatles, Past Masters. Sure. We're, and for those of you who don't know, that's just the Beatles singles and their B-sides collected into one two-volume yep. album, but it was a an album album. So honestly, his later material is mostly stuff that's already on albums, but then you got oddballs like Jolene. If you're a Vault member, then be prepared for many, many more White Stripes albums because he seems to be Releasing them uh, in the vault pretty often. Live albums, obviously. Yeah. So there's that to look forward to. Now, to get to the racks, God, we all want that. I know, I know. And I, I had hope because there was that photo of him and Brandon and Allison all sitting around. And I was like, what band is this? And I was like, is he doing it again? Because that'd be great. But at this point, it would be tough for me to wrap my head around him doing another racks project, unless it was radically different. See, I, I disagree. I, well, all right. It would be radically different. He's he's changed his sensibilities a great deal since "Consolers of the Lonely." He's gone way more country than he he has in the past. And "Consolers" had a taste of that, but it wasn't you know it wasn't all there. But I I think a lot of it has to do with scheduling issues. I think Brendan is so busy with Ready Made Records. Mm-hmm. Little Jack Lawrence is busy with Blanche and the Greenhorns, as well as other assorted projects and Keeler. Well, I don't know what Keeler's doing. <laughs> 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 I mean, I think if they really had a compelling reason, they could make time for it. But do they have a compelling reason? Unless you're on the inside, I'm not sure if you'd know the answer to that. But I could yeah. see is is the compelling reason I've got an idea to do just an all acoustic guitars album or, you know, so, something radically different or an interesting idea that the raconteurs mythology could sort of fit into maybe i personally have a tough time wrapping my head around it which is why actually that oddball performance of theirs from what was it 2011 Mm -hmm. shocked the hell out of me at the time i was like what is even happening right now because even at that point i was already under the impression i was never gonna see the raconteurs again so could it happen maybe time will tell i suppose Uh, to the question at hand we've really been dodging and burning this question to the ground (laughs) when is his next solo album coming I don't know it is hard to say Jack is notoriously tight lipped about this sort of stuff I think it's going to be announced this year for release of next year that's a guess speculation cue speculation sound effect we're all a bunch of hypocrites
1: stick our noses into something that we've got no business what are we doing out here anyway good what good we're polluting it destroying it we've got no business being out here no business we don't belong here it's not ours not ours destroying and watching we don't belong
0: i think yeah It'll be announced summer, late summer of 2017 for the release date of spring 2018. That's a guess. Yeah. He's but never gone this long without a studio album proper, I think, in his career. Although I could be wrong about that. It's been a while. It's It's going on two years. So we had... A year and a half gap between Elephant and Satan. Well, so we're about at that point. So that's why I say I agree. I think it's probably coming soon. Yeah, I saw some rumors online, but they're just really, really unsubstantiated rumors. I think it's going to pop out of nowhere. Who knows if another solo album is even going to happen? Is it going to be something completely different? Although you'd have to think, well, he's got the threes thing, so you'd probably want to do that. I was just going to say, the man likes his threes. But the racks didn't get three. That's true. But who's to say that they won't? Who's to say that? Yeah. There's some cool, like, Only Vault-released Rax tunes as well that I'd love to see a commercial release of. I'm talking about, like, that Brendan song that wound up on What Kind of World. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We are gonna get a new Margo this year. That's what we've heard. And we're getting Lily May. Oh, Lily May, who just did that fine performance on the Grammys. Very excited about that. We'll get we'll get Jack permutating into lots of different projects in the meantime. So at least we have that to look forward to. James, okay. You know what I hear? Um, yeah. Is that a question oh, monster Oh, or... Oh, God.
1: astronaut.
0: Um, um, question monster. Um.
1: Can um, I just have one
0: question? Can uh, let me just grab one. You know, one right out of the bag. You, know, you can't have any yeah, of my questions. That, this is a good one. No. Let me just dust it off. I am um, a questions. Okay. Um, I got this question um, in my hand. Um, question monster. Easy girl. Shh, shh. Adrian King asks, What was the incident, slash incidents, that made you fall into the superfan rabbit hole? Everyone seems to have that one story that sucked them in so hard that they never look back. Me included. So this one's directed at me and you, Paul. Uh, Let's start with you because you're the first to have fallen between the two of us. You're the first to have fallen in that rabbit hole, I think. I don't know. All right, so there's two kind of incidents. The one incident that turned me into a fan. I was in my dorm room and I listened to Ball and a Biscuit for the first time. And I remember that very distinctly. I, I heard Ball and a Biscuit. It blew my mind. Hearing that song absolutely floored me. And from that moment on, I was going to be a fan. It made me want to dig deeper, find out more, all that stuff. The super fan thing probably happened post-Satan. Seeing him live for the first time made me want to be a super fan. I think it was that very first tour show where Mike and I were front row. It was mind-blowing watching him go up there. I was already a fan, but seeing actually seeing him do his thing made me a super fan. I think at that first rack show. Yeah. Nice. James, do you have one? Let's see. I started liking them because you and Mike liked. Them. Yeah. <laughs> and I was always the follower of of your uh, of your occasional musical trysts. Uh, journey. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which you and Mike shared a lot of. You you guys shared a lot of trysts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Question guys... Monster might beg to differ. But then again, Question Monster is just a little bitter now, isn't he? That he wasn't invited. Don't you crinkle that bag at me, Question Monster. He's an awful, awful boy. <laughs> Anyway, I definitely started following them because of you guys and probably because you thrust Elephant into my hands and said, James, you're listening to this uh, <laughs> right, right here and the now. I knew it was a good path to go in because a kid who I thought was really cool saw me with it and went, hey, you have that White stripe CD. Let me get that so I can burn it. And I was like, you, yeah, yeah, cool <laughs> kid. You can take this and burn it. And uh, I feel bad about it now. But yeah, no, that was great. I, I think I fell into the rabbit hole when, it's probably right around when we saw the White Stripes for the first time. play. Well, that's 2007. Uh, right around then is when all the merchandise started to come out, and that's when I noticed this merchandise, and I, I, I bought the, like, the tour t-shirt. I We had always had our dad having a, an extensive Beatles collection, things like that, and I was like, man, I could have one of those collections of my own. <laughs> and it kind of started from there. It, it It was more of a snowball thing than a lightning strike, yeah, okay. um, Th- that's a good way to put it. it more or less was something that morphed into being. I had always enjoyed his music, and then collecting the collector's rabbit hole kind of morphed into being, yeah, and the more I collected, the more I got into the music, the more I got into the music, the more I collected it It morphed into into what it is now, which is an appreciation both for what he's putting out and for the music that came before it Uh, yeah more of a snowball yeah Um, yeah yeah i mean i i I had elements of that too it it didn't all just happen at once but the moment it clicked the moment i felt like a fan it was at that first show after that i started remember i made that Tour's t-shirt and i we were starting to collect some of the albums and stuff like that so that's kind of where we were now james I, I can before before question monster gets. Get hit, back, can get pinpoint, back over there. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> yet. I can pinpoint that that there was a moment when the music really clicked, and that was just after "Get Behind Me, Satan," and it was also just after I got my first job, and I was able to purchase every White Stripes record that had come before it. Ah. And I don't think I don't think you had even purchased the self-titled or the style yet. I purchased them all at Best Buy in (laughs) one fell swoop. With like one one paycheck just went poof and vanished, and I got every Stripes album from the self-titled to Get Behind Me Satan. Yeah. And I listened to them obsessively after that. So that's really when the music started to click was around uh 2005 to 6 you know that kind of range right well yeah i think that's kind of where i went to and so we joined together and we had you me and mike and um seeing those shows all the three of us was always great every single jack white show except for the white stripes i saw with all three of us there you me and mike joseph there you go Oh, oh god, Cookie Monster. I mean, Question Monster. He's back. Ah, Oh god. um, He's tearing um, apart this place. um, Oh god. Get him away from me. Get him away from me. Me not that derivative. um, 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 Derivative. (laughs) (laughs) We let lawyers find out. Um, mm, mm,
1: mm, We,
0: uh, question mm, monster. We have time. I ask? No, we have time for one more question. Okay. One more. Delicious. Juicy. Question. What has our podcast become?
1: Come <laughs> uh-uh.
0: <laughs> uh-uh.
1: mm. All right, Question Monster, hit me. Hit me with that last question.
0: Ben Hibbard asks, I've always wanted to know how much time Jack spends in the studio between his own projects. Does he just pop in or is he there 24-7, 365? It really depends on the album or between which albums. He's definitely there often. And depending on the time frame, it's very different. When he recorded The White Stripes... And the style, he was there pretty much 24 7, 365 because they were his house. I mean, <laughs> and that's, and so was Satan. Right. That's, that's the thing about this question. So I went through looking for some specifics, but really what it boils down to is particularly with the White Stripes, he was recording the albums very, very quickly. They happened in the span usually of a couple weeks, maybe a month at most. At most. So they're putting down a lot of tracks, and Jack is, I would say, a perfectionist in a lot of regards so you know he was doing multiple takes you figure even if that was a track a day or two a day I mean that seems like a lot he's probably there at an intense amount of time coaxing Meg to stay for that amount of time might have been kind of a feat in and of itself but as far as like is he there 24-7 When he's recording an album, I have to believe, yes, but him. I don't know if he holds everybody to the same standard, whether that be preparation for the next day's recording. He dabbles in engineering and and that other stuff alongside Joshua V. Smith and um, Vance Powell, but he's also producing these albums. Producing an album is a lot like being the director of a film. And that's a 24-7 gig, too. So, yes, I think it's about 24-7, particularly with any release he's on. I would say, depending on how we're answering this question, the way, Ben, you worded this is between his own projects. So, if if what you meant was from one project to another, does he actually go into the studio previously to the past Couple of years that would be hard to determine. I would say in the past few years, what, with Third Man Records being there, producing so many new albums and new bands, I would say he's in the studio at least like a nine to five job. Yeah, um, for the most part. I don't think three sixty five, but I I do think that he's there like a nine to five for most of the time. People in Nashville, correct us if we're wrong. You guys would have a better understanding um, of seeing him come and go. But I feel like he's there often. Yeah, I don't think you're plucking that out of the air. I mean, that's if you look at the output of Third Man Records, there's a lot of singles always coming out, which he's usually attached to. So... Yeah, I I think it is safe to say, based on the evidence we have in front of us, that his time in the studio between his own albums is pretty regular. Whether it be preparing older archive releases or producing or playing on other bands' tracks, there's just too much output for that not to be the case. Right. To get back to what you were saying, Paul, during the projects, I guarantee you he slept overnight in a chair at a (laughs) recording studio a couple times. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Draped over a mixing board. And if I could just give a shout out to one of said crazy plentiful single releases, it's one I just ordered today. Craig Brown Band's Overthinking is awesome. It's real good. Is it? Yes, it's real good. His general look and demeanor reminds me a lot of badger from breaking
1: bad a lot yeah i don't know what you're talking about
0: yeah yeah, the stash too something about him
1: you're kidding right can you at least be original
0: yeah it's just something about him yeah well james i think we might want to kick it to our third man for this week yeah let's kick it to our third man this week welcome well wait we're already here um We'd like to welcome our third man this week, Mr. Alex Segura. How you doing, Alex? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, our pleasure.
1: Alex, you're here. I'm here. I made it. I found my way. <laughs> you made it. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a long journey, but I, I'm, I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah. Alex is a writer, a musician, a multifaceted individual. Yeah. Many <laughs> facets. Oh, so yeah. many facets. I have depth. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he's here to talk about music and writing and <laughs> those yeah, things. We're are gonna... just, those facets are just mentioned as well as um maybe perhaps answering uh some some listener questions with us so um paul do you want to lead this discussion
1: <laughs> the baton has well, been passed yeah
0: yeah you know while we got you here alex you know we were really curious about a couple of things you know as a uh you're at a band called the the faulkner detectives or you were yeah uh, i should
1: they, uh, yeah i should note that we're on a little bit of a hiatus it kind of coincided with me having a kid and that surprisingly sucked up a lot of time so sure it'll do that yeah, yeah we took a little break but uh you know we actually were emailing not long ago uh Meg and Elizabeth who were the other two band members or the the two kind of permanent band members we had we had a few drummers we were just chatting back and forth and kind of Nostalgically talking about the good old days when we were in a band, so we might we might pick them up again. Yeah,
0: that would be great. Um, you guys put out a great EP called "The Modern Handshake" a few years back. I thought it was awesome. Some really good sounding stuff. So we we wanted to just pick your brain about you know gigging versus recording, kind of what that's like, and and working in the space of a band with other people and egos and different musical tastes and stuff like that. And you know, because Jack White has been in a, a number of different groups, but he tends to to be at the lead of those groups he tends to be the one sort of setting the narrative and even in cases where he's sort of the equal in those groups there's definitely a hierarchy or at least a perceived hierarchy and sort of who's who's the big who's the elephant in the room kind of thing so so i just want to pick your brain and and talk a little bit about that and how you guys got together and what was it like recording that kind of thing
1: yeah, I mean, it was an interesting story. We I was in a band with Elizabeth, who was the bassist, and our friend Vanessa, who was on drums. And Elizabeth was in another band with her friend Meg, and they were Faulkner Allison, and we were Frozen Detectives. And... I think Elizabeth and Meg's band didn't have a drummer, so they were kind of the, you know, drummers are like the unicorn of music, you know, finding a good drummer yeah. who shows up to practice and is good and consistent and is a team player is very challenging. And it's, I, that's just my experience in having been in like dozens of bands back home in Miami or New York. Anyway, so we we came up with a weird idea of just merging the bands. (laughs) So it became this kind of Voltron of bands. So we became Faulkner Detectives. We literally just kind of smushed the names together. And yeah, it just made it easier. And so it was, uh, the band was kind of split naturally. We had the more traditional music music students, you know, Elizabeth and Meg were well-versed in that. And the kind of more punk rock, I don't well not really even punk rock. Anyway, that that's the secret origin of Falcor Detectives, but
0: uh, by the way, you mentioned the drummer thing even only being in one of these little like just messing around groups of people. Mm-hmm. Once the drummer moved back east, we just stopped playing because we couldn't find another drum. Like, drummers, they really are hard to come by.
1: I think the challenge for us was when Vanessa moved, she moved from New York to the West Coast, we kind of, we got another drummer, and, and he wasn't in the same headspace as we were, but he was a great drummer, but it just, the chemistry is so hard to get. You know, it's so hard to sync up with four other, three other people.
0: So, to circle back to to Jack you can see how before he started playing almost exclusively with Meg as a drummer in the White Stripes he had bounced around a lot of different groups he actually started as a drummer and then sort of became a guitarist in a few different things there was the Go there was the Bricks there was a few other things Goober and And the Peas Paul, please don't forget Goober Goober and the the Peas where he was a drummer but you can see how having your wife there with you particularly your wife who you've built the band around and you almost have no choice but to be in the same headspace as not only because you live with each other but because by design the band is focused on the sound being produced by the drummer so you can see how that would have gelled very nicely
1: yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I can't, you know, I've never been in a band with someone I was in a relationship with. The good thing about Faulkner Detectives was and is, I guess, that we're all pretty easygoing. There was not a lot of band drama. I came in and I had songs and Meg had her songs and Elizabeth is very good at kind of giving commentary on songs so we all were contributing and I'm sure had we continued Elizabeth would have had songs and Vanessa would have had songs so it never felt like hey this is this is Alex's band or this is Meg's band and we're just kind of playing with her or playing her songs or my songs so, and it was pretty democratic even on the EP I think <laughs> It's uh it's a fair split on who the writers are. The fun part I think for me was when I'd bring in a song that I kind of visualized a certain way or played a certain way cuz some of them were songs I played in other bands what they added really gave it a personality and vice versa. So I don't think maybe Meg expected kind of a choppy like rhythm guitar Uh, with effects to be accompanying her very kind of keyboard-heavy and synth-laden stuff. And on the flip side, having her add that and backing vocals and things like that, and Elizabeth kind of taking more of a lead guitar bass, because we only had one guitar, and so the bass became very much like the lead instrument, which was unique, I think. Hmm. Sure,
0: Very McCartney-like.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: (laughs) I feel like that's that's something Jack White had going for him, um, was what paul had said about uh you know meg had no choice but to be in the same headspace and i don't think they were i don't think there was a struggle to be the leader of the band i think jack just kind of took uh that kind of position up um but i feel like that that's got to be a hurdle and, and i mean i see it so often in in the hit series vh1's behind the music which is still <laughs> ongoing i'm sure i wish they were so um, are they but, still making that <laughs> I have no idea. Okay. I, I've, apparently, VH1's still on. Me and Paul learned a few <laughs> it weeks. It still back. exists. <laughs> yeah, um, they're so far behind the music; they're in front of it.
1: They are the music now. <laughs> yes, yeah. VH1 were the music now. We are question the music. Yeah. Dot 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 <laughs> question mark?
0: Um, but I feel like that—that's a hurdle that a lot of uh, people have to go th- through. And um, so I'm—it's—it's uh, it's good to hear uh, yeah, that. Yeah, and it also—it's not always we were the case.
1: You know, we weren't in our 20s. I remember. You know, we were in our 30s, had jobs, and so the idea was, you know, we want to maximize our time, and we want to play shows, and we want to have a record. So we were much more driven and less about like these are my songs, man. Like you can't dis- <laughs> you know, you can't disrupt my genius or my. You know, it was very workmanlike in that we went in, we practiced, we got a set, and then we played out, and then um, we recorded. I think we just really so, lost our way—not lost our way, but got derailed when we lost our drummer. And then, um, but that's a challenge. It's such a like a cliche band thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, at at any point, did Casey Kasem come by and say, "Hey, you guys uh, would sound great"?
1: Uh, he did, I'll, but we uh, didn't realize by the it was and him. Zach we didn't realize it was him until it was much too late. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so,
0: how did that work with the EP? Did you? uh how many songs did you bring to the table? Were there any that the band was just like nah i don't want to do i don't think that's working or were there any that you had vetoed saying ah, i don't know if that's really working Was there sort of a an even split or was it sort of like anything goes any ideas on the table
1: uh for the e p it was more you know which songs do we know we only we only had two days to record, so it was one day of laying down the basic tracks, then another day of kind of editing it and uh and then a third day where the vocalists would come in and record their vocals but that wasn't even in the studio so it was really just a workman like you know what what songs can we do we know we can play for sure so a lot of the songs that we were still kind of figuring out were not viable and then there were some songs that i knew how to play well that were mine and i'm sure meg had her songs that she knew how to play but we hadn't played them as a band or for whatever reason we didn't, you know, they didn't feel like Faulkner detective songs. They were maybe songs that we had in, in the docket. Um, mm. mm-hmm. and the way the recording came together was that that Meg's brother-in-law had access to a studio because he was working there. So it was really something where we we got a great deal. And we ended up getting this record deal just just through someone I knew from high school that ran ran a label in Miami. And I sent him a few demos, and he said, yeah, I'll put it out. And, you know, there we were. You know, it's still out there digitally. I think you can find it on Spotify and stuff like that. And I don't know if we would do it the same way again, but it was a great first step just to kind of get it out there. Hmm. Nice. That's, that's
0: really cool. Um, I, I mean, Jack and Meg had a similar experience. Um, you know, they utilized uh, the... <laughs> ultra small label sympathy for the record industry when they were first getting started and it was really just a guy, this guy named uh, Long Gone John um, that took a chance because you know, uh, of whatever reason um, and so it was the foot in the door that led them to V2 which was Richard Branson which eventually led them to Warner Brothers and and uh, and uh, Jack having his own label set up so I mean it's a uh, it's really it seems to be a cascading effect with that that type of thing
1: yeah i think you just start like anything else and even you know i see it with books and with comics and other stuff it's just you start somewhere and you build from there and you have to be ready to kind of be in the trenches for a while and not you don't you don't leap up to you're not the beatles overnight and you may never be as long as but i think as long as you're having fun that sounds so so saccharine but it's the truth
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, as a, as a McCartney fan, uh, I'm used to that. Yeah, crying. exactly.
1: And there, you know, there were. I and mean, it's funny you bring that up because I obviously love McCartney, and I love, and I, I have a lot of that kind of sweetness in my songs. So there were a lot of songs that just didn't make the cut as band songs because they were a little too two McCartney or two kind of sugar sweet. So maybe I'll just put out a solo record with those. Yeah. yeah.
0: So what's gigging like in relation to recording? Is it a different vibe with the group? Do you find the energy higher when you're performing for an audience? I mean, I assume you do, but I've never actually recorded professionally in a studio, but I could imagine that it must get exciting hearing a song come together. What was your experience with those two different types of playing?
1: Uh, I found playing out live to be extremely stressful just because I'm not... I'm not a showman by design, you know, I can speak to a crowd, but I, you know, I, you just get anxious up there, and it's also stressful, you're, you're playing in front of people you know, you you think you know these songs, but you've never really played them in front of other people, whereas the studio is much more detail-oriented, you're in the room with your band for hours, you, you, you're basically going to music camp, but even yeah. even that's different, because you're not playing out at the same time. We, we did, we recorded pretty live, because we were all plugged in at the same time, but, you know, you layer on the tracks differently, you layer on the vocal, Later, and for me, I was used to playing with a band together. It's just really different. It's more like putting a puzzle together, whereas on when you're playing a show, you're practicing in front of people, basically, except you're not supposed to screw up. (laughs)
0: Right. (laughs) It sounds like things that I wouldn't have even thought of because I feel like playing gigs would be the fun part, right? Because that's you guys playing together as a group and hearing the song you know as you're playing it you're hearing the song that everybody else is hearing at the same time I
1: mean it can be really exhilarating it's it's. I mm-hmm. my favorite part is always between songs obviously it's just it's just the actual playing can be a little nerve-wracking because in your head you're like oh my god they're gonna hear that I went to G instead of C and the world's <laughs> gonna end but you know what actually no one's listening as closely as you are so even if you muff a chord or we had a moment where the drummer lost a drumstick and I think that happened to us a couple times and you literally <laughs> you have to stop. You have, there's no other choice. And that's the worst thing you can do. And, and you get through it. You just say, you kind of laugh it off and play. And then you always worry about equipment stuff. We always happen to have some kind of equipment failure, like my pedals wouldn't work. And, you know, we didn't have the traditional lineup. We didn't have two guitars and a bass and drums. So I couldn't really muff the guitar and, and, and think, okay, the other guitarist is going to pick it up. Right. If any of us kind of lost it, up there, it would be pretty obvious. So, But you could make your mistakes. So I, I found the shows to be pretty yeah. exhilarating and fun, especially because you see people. Like, people will come and kind of cheer you on. And every venue has its own weird thing that, you know, some of the places we played were just total dives. And just like, you know, my my girlfriend at the time, now my wife – Basically said, I'm never coming in here again. I feel like I'm getting a, a virus <laughs> just sitting sitting here at this one one spot. We played a couple times. It's fun while you do it, and then right after, you're like, "Wow, I'm never gonna, I never want to do that again." But then after time passes, you, you realize <laughs> y- you get some nostalgia for it. I, I miss it a lot. I think it was a lot of fun. It's funny you say
0: that about screwing up the chords and stuff. I mean, that's a big hallmark of Jack's live performances, especially with the Stripes, which was embracing the mistake because when he's playing, particularly, he's out there essentially naked. He has only Meg for support. So there's nothing backing him up other than Meg's drumming. And so if he makes a mistake, everyone's hearing it and it's going to be right out in front. And so what often what you will hear him do in those instances is to take the mistake and then make it like a sort of a riff out of the mistake, Mm -hmm. Uh, slowly turning into you. There's like this, but sometimes he never quite hits the last note in that. Right. So he goes like a, dan. But then instead of like oh i f- up. He just does that a few times and then turns that into a rhythm and then Meg plays off the rhythm. So it's about feeding off of each other on stage.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You definitely have to just be ready to roll with the mistakes. And the thing about us was we were never really a jam band. We never came in and practiced and said, we're going to jam and come up with a new song. It was always someone had a song close to completion or it was written in the practice space. Like Meg and I would sit and figure out the song and then the, the rest of the band would come in and fill the song in. But I, I get what you're saying that you have to kind of roll with whatever happens the Otherwise, you're just stopping. You just freeze up in front of everyone, Here which I is am, terrifying. Man. That's like the nightmare. That's what you're scared of. <laughs> yeah.
0: Alex, uh, on that EP, I really love that song. New Blood. Oh, oh, cool. New Blood,
1: I need you Though I can not see you New Blood, I need you Not sure I'm supposed to New Blood, I need
0: you Do you want to just tell us a little bit about how you wrote that one and what that was like recording it
1: uh new blood was what was a song that Unlike some of the other songs on the EP, like A Matter of Time, or some of the other ones that I brought, those were older songs. New Blood was was written, I think I was just going through a bad breakup. It's a, It was an older song, and it was, it's very visually based. I, I just threw out a lot of images, you know, black letters on a white background, greeting card that you never found. Like, it's pretty simple rhymes, but it was all about visual images. I wanted to have a very major chord progression. But it, it was a throwaway song for me until I came into the band, and, you know, Meg and Elizabeth that added their parts and really made it into their own thing. Hmm. The recording of New Blood in particular was pretty painless. I think there were just some songs that we knew like Down. That and uh, a few of Meg's songs we were pretty in sync with those. So I don't remember any notable like mishaps. I think that was one of the songs that, that we, uh, we all synced up pretty well with.
0: Yeah, you guys seem to be on the same page with that one. I just the chorus is really tight on that. There's some nice melody going
1: on there. Yeah, the thing about bands that's fun is that somebody else brings something to the song that you weren't expecting. So even like Meg's backing vocals or Elizabeth's bass line, and, and I think she very much drives the band with her bass, which is unique. And I think Vanessa kept it simple on the drums, so she didn't have to overthink what she was doing. So it, it synced up pretty well. I think that's one of the high points of the EP. I'm not biased nice. at all. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Was there a conscious choice to do an EP instead of an LP?
1: Yeah, I think we just didn't feel like we had enough songs that were locked down. I think I'd, I'll have to dig up the document that we would work off, like our song list. But when we had like 20, 25 different songs we could have done, those were the five or six songs that we knew for sure we could play and knock out in two days.
0: Uh, I, I and When I was in art school, a lot of my friends would, would give me EPs and stuff, and it was always interesting to me because it was always, you know, five or six songs. But I guess that makes sense because you could have 30 songs, but, you know, only think that Five make the bill for this Particular act I think
1: part Of it too was that you know I brought In some songs and Meg brought in some songs And those were all like songs we Had before so what we'd agreed was we would Do this EP and then eventually Do a record like a full album but those songs On the new album would be Faulkner Detective songs like songs written in the band So you know hopefully Mm -hmm. We could get to that point someday I think We're still a a ways away from (laughs) from Getting back to that
0: well I hope you do I'd I'd Love to hear uh, some more I'd listen to when you guys actually got together and put out the EP, oh, awesome. uh, I remember you. listening to it and enjoying it a great deal. So. Oh,
1: nice. Yeah, now I, yeah. I'm going to have to email them and say we did this interview and that we, uh, we should get the band <laughs> back together. So you may have actually influenced <laughs> the life of the band. <laughs> Just say you're on a mission from God. Yeah. We're on a mission from God. These guys said we had a good record. <laughs> <laughs> Two doofuses enjoyed it. Yeah, One of them was drinking Coquito. Uh, one was drinking
0: wine that came out of a jug
1: at least it's not a um, box and patiently waiting yeah. patiently
0: waiting for a pizza hut pizza pizza dude's got 30 seconds mm-hmm. wise men say forgiveness is divine but never pay full price for late pizza so we brought you on to uh, to talk a little bit about songwriting and stuff, but also, you know, we were going to kind of get into a couple of listener questions. Well, I'll, I'll start off with a, with a lob because uh, we already <laughs> answered this in, in the main bulk of the podcast. But me and Paul had went over some of our bands that we are into, aside from Jack White and Company there are any, any bands out there that you'd like to recommend or anybody that you've been in a particular fandom or rabbit hole of?
1: As far as bands I've obsessed over, you know, I, I love the Talking Heads. They're definitely, I never, you know, the Beatles are always going to be a favorite band of mine. But And there was a time in college when I thought, you know, I'm never going to like a band more than the Beatles. But if, if any band came close, it's probably the Talking Heads, just in terms of being unique and kind of pushing the envelope and also being very pleasantly weird. And I don't think they, ha- yeah. they ever had a bad record. Which, which says a lot. I think bands always have that kind of tailspin period where they have two or three records that are just not up to snuff and then they break up. Other bands I love Nico Case. I think she's really talented She's a great singer. She's a great musician Yeah,
0: you actually introduced me to them. That I, I had no idea and my entryway there was she was covering a lot of the same songs Jack was like Rated X and oh, wow. Wayfaring yeah. Stranger. That's Raring a great Stranger. song, yeah And I had no idea until I just, I looked up the songs to find the Jack White versions on my <laughs> iTunes and I was like, oh, I have all this? Huh,
1: weird. I think she's pretty versatile, and she, you know, like Wilco, another band I really like, she she kind of started from alt-country and became much more than that. I always listen to a lot of Costello. I'm a big Elvis Costello fan. I think his catalog is so much bigger that there's a lot of potholes. You know, there's just a few albums that you're like, what were you thinking? Or, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Every album of his sounds vastly different from the one that had preceded it.
1: Yeah, that, but then, then there's just some records that you're like, why did you do this? But you have to admire his versatility and his desire to kind of keep himself on his toes. So I, I've been listening to a lot of uh, old 97s, too, which they're they're a fun, like, alt-country band, similar to oh, Wilco okay, cool. and uh, Drive-By Truckers and that kind of traditional rock. You know, and Velvet Underground and Lou Reed are always huge.
0: We took a dive into them after seeing the Tours play with Lou Reed, specifically on the VMAs.
1: Oh, right, yeah. Jack
0: and uh, Brandon and, and the crew there played uh, White Light, White Heat. That's
1: a great song, and yeah. And
0: so yeah I had never done the Velvet Underground dive before and I uh, I think I bought it the next day after James and I talked about it on the show and I listened to it I was like holy sh**
1: this Amazing. is good and it's also it's such a I mean, small mean it's wild it's,
0: it's insane yeah. it reminded me like some of the poetry songs reminded me of some of the Jim Morrison stuff I skipped. Yeah, I skipped those too. But, you know, it was was still good, and the grooves were just ahead of their time. Them and the Stooges maybe were a little bit ahead of the curve when it came to that kind of stuff in terms of just pure sound, you know?
1: Well, they were never quote-unquote successful, but the body of work is so great, even though they change so much. Like, it starts out with Lou Reed, John Cale, and Nico, and Nico's given this weirdly prominent role. Then she goes away, Mm -hmm. and then it's John Cale and Lou Reed. Then John Cale goes away and then Doug Yule comes in and they're all then then they start serving kind of Lou as the mastermind of the band, but it still continues to be good those three or four records are, are consistently great
0: and I'm, I'm also glad you mentioned the Talking Heads earlier because uh, that was one that I forgot to mention their band I, I listen to often and David Burns solo stuff as well and that's the stuff that got me into another band I didn't mention and forgot to which was They Might Be Giants oh
1: yeah well that was my one great failing with <laughs> not getting Paul into the Talking Heads as much as I could have I mean I like them it's not that I don't it takes a while it, they don't instantly click Alex
0: if <laughs> Clerks 2's intro yeah, yeah. Uh, well, can grab him with, what is Nothing it? but flowers. Nothing but flowers. Then I don't think anything um, will. that's a great song. I do love that song. The angel dinosaurs, cosmonauts, on gas. It's not that I don't like them. It's just that I think, Alex, what you said is like you have to kind of find them. Them as a group is sort of an art piece in and of itself. And so it's not any one song, really. It's just sort of the whole experience. And
1: Well, here's what you should do. You should rent the Stop Making Sense mo- movie, the, the concert movie. Watch that. And if you aren't convinced after that, then it's over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just you know, <laughs> Just put on Little Creatures. Little Creatures is excellent.
0: One uh, one other thing I want to add here, Alex, before you go, is that you and I and Mr. Stephen Scott actually saw Jack White together back in 2012 on the Blunderbuss tour. We did. Yeah, and that was that amazing experience where the stage opened up at the right. And then, unfortunately, you were a little bit further back than us. Well oh,
1: you ditched me! You ditched me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> For his encore, he opened up the right side of the of the Roseland Ballroom where we saw him. And suddenly, Stephen Scott and I found ourselves in the front row after having been sort of in the back side for the whole show up to that point. So that was an amazing experience. And Alabama Shakes opened. Yeah, that they were night. a great
1: opening act. They they really put on a strong performance. I, that was a fun show. I, I mean, I, I have, that was the one time I'd ever seen Jack. So and it was really cool. And he's such a showman. And his band was so tight. Yeah, that was when he had the two bands. The all female band played
0: the majority of the show. Mm-hmm. The Peacocks and the Buzzards the male band played the encore. Yeah, so... I think that'll do it for this segment. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug, Alex?
1: Yeah, in addition to all this stuff we talked about that, that's kind of aged over time, I, I do write mystery novels, and I have my third one in a series uh, following this kind of washed-up uh, Miami detective named Pete Fernandez. comes out April 11th. It's called Dangerous Ends, and it's set in Miami. It deals a lot with Miami crime and stuff like that, and it also flashes back to Cuba, because the detective is Cuban-American, and mm-hmm. it's gotten good reviews. The series has gotten some good attention. It's coming out wherever books are sold on April 11th
0: Buy the book, everybody. It's very noir if you like that stuff, which I love it. Uh, awesome. I have a signed copy on my shelf right now. That's right. So but yeah, thank you so much for joining yeah. us today. This was Alex. fun,
1: yeah. I had a great time, and hopefully uh we can do it again soon. Thank you so much for being on, Alex. Yeah. We really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Alex. Bye. Bye. We're gonna go back to the show now. <laughs>
0: So uh, that'll do it for this episode. And that was great. We got, a, we got a good response to our call to ask questions. But please, we'll be doing another one of these at some point in the future. So if you have any, we will catalog them and we will log them down. So any, any questions you guys want to ask, whether it be about us or the music or anything Jack White related. We're not, we're not. We got question monster. No question. Shut up. No, no question monster. No.
1: That's we a will bat. bring
0: you out another day. That's a bad. Bop, you want to hit. We will lock him up. That's been a bad question, Monster. And then we'll bring him back out, and he'll he'll be able to discern the good questions from the bad questions, but they'll all be good questions, trust me. So a couple shout-outs for listeners to the show. We have some new listeners we'd like to shout out here. Colleen Kendall-Stevens, thank you so much, Colleen. Yeah, thanks, Colleen. Yvette Wilkins, thank you so much for all the kind words and stories you guys have been Tellin on our facebook yes very nice yvette thank you very much we also have at miss fem on twitter thank you very much thank you miss fem yes we have bart shooting thank you so much mr bart show is it bart shouting or bart shoot like like shouting like ah is it a descriptor is what i'm asking thank you bart it's, yes thank you bart thank you bartholomew Shouten. and then to cap it off on tumblr Angel Twins of the Dawn has followed us. Thank you. That group has been like we, creeping. It's been slowly building and uh, we we right. enjoy it very much. And there's also our regulars, people who like hang out with us every week and interact with us and all that. And we really like that. Uh, so, Eileen Corsano, thank you so much, Eileen. Yeah. Thanks, as always, to Fact Checker Extraordinaire, third woman in spirit, Kelly Durga. Adrian King, the queen, the punk rock queen. Adrian King, thank you very much. Andre Lyman, thank you so much, Andre Lyman. Uh, you're there always. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have keep <laughs> keeping us on the rails Jeremy Riles thank you so much Jeremy as James said if you have a listener question please send it in uh we could always use more of those and you can send it to a variety of platforms or just reach out to us hang out with us on a variety of social media platforms we're on Facebook we're at facebook.com third men we're on Twitter at third men cast if you want to tweet at us feel free yeah we're on tumblr at thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com you can go straight to the source at the third Thirdmen.wordpress.com, where we post our show and show notes, along with some pictures and other sort of goodies occasionally. Yes, indeed. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send it to ThirdMenPodcast at gmail.com. You can search us on YouTube. I put up a YouTube visualizer. They come out a little slow, so sorry about that. And occasionally they're blocked in something like 238 countries like this (laughs) last one. So. We're working on it. We're working on it. We're trying. Yeah. Uh, on iTunes, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, it really helps us get the word out on the show. And we're listen- We're not just available on iTunes. We're on Podomatic and Overcast and a bunch of other podcatcher sources. So rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps. Thank you to our third man this week, Mr. Alex Segura. You were great. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you, Alex. And then, uh, as always, to Susanna Roundtree for the intro and outro of our show. Thank you, Susanna. You can see her art on susannamated.tumblr.com. Yep. And thanks to Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for help with our theme song, We're the Third Men, which turned out amazing, and you guys and Paul did a great job. And who a- Adrian King said she sings along to, I think. She was referring to that. So that's nice to know. And Wait, wait, Paul. I just want to say... Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas and <laughs> Happy New Year. No, I want to say that I found a little something that I think would, would tie in well with this listener question stuff, because we've been getting to know each other. Me and you have been getting to know... The, the podcast audience, Paul, uh-huh. uh, in this episode specifically... I'm dying to know what this is. I found a little something. Okay. I found a little something. And it goes... It's a little clip of audio. Oh. May I say... Oh, no. Le- you left your stereo in the storage unit. Whoa. That What's happening? Dad told me to throw out... What's happening? Dad told me to throw out this... This stereo, and inside this stereo was a cassette tape. Of what? Pray tell. This cassette tape had you playing at an open mic night. Whoa! That's where that wound up! And you sing... Hotel Yorba. Hotel Yorba. Yeah. So I think think it only fair that we play (laughs) Paul's rendition of Hotel Yorba. At the end of this episode. So as always, I'll be looking for a home. Paul. Oh, I'll be looking to listen to this episode when you're done mixing <laughs> it. <laughs> Have a good night. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Oh God.
1: <laughs> to the overnight night Well, at least this one. So he is, as I say every week, an open mic night version. <laughs> so make sure you make him feel twice the love and twice the appreciation. Please put it together for... Paul the everybody! <laughs> How's
0: that how I do not <laughs> Okay.
1: Sorry. This is a song that made me fall the race with. I was watching with one eye on
0: the other side. I got the- I'm silly, when I mean, you think child's like these, But I'm so tired of acting itself and I'm gonna do what I please Let's get married, in a big better to eat, go by Cause if I'm mad and feel it up in the I they at
1: least Well if, one, two, three, four, take the other way to like the hotel Or I'll see a better, all
0: you got inside is they can see
1: Today, me want to talk to you about asking questions because Asking questions is good way to find out about things. And a one and a 2 and a 3
0: By recording, pressing, and releasing Lazaretto in less than four hours, Jack White broke the Guinness World Record set by Swiss polka trio Vogus, Campani, who issued their album live on August 6, 2008, the day after they recorded it. <laughs> but they issued it so fast that they, they left their kid at the funeral parlor, <laughs> and um, they left him there all day. Uh, Uh, But kids are resilient, you know. They'll bounce back, you know. Um, You may, you may remember them from their, uh, from their various uh, monikers, polka kings of the Midwest. Uh, Polka, 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 Um, polka, 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 no, no, polka twist. That's all right. We'll We'll vamp. It'll be great. Somebody said that at work um, last week, and I despise them privately for saying it. Saying what? Vamp. And That's then right. I've been saying it now in an every conversation at any opportunity. <laughs> I think I've become one of them, like, uh, Blade. Is that how Blade works? Yeah. Blade is, uh, <laughs> he started out as a guy who didn't say Vamp. But now he's and the day Vamp. He, he's the day Vamp yourself on these lister, lister questions oh, you, oh you your audio is coming through on mine oh thanks that's why I tell the audience to stop singing yes because it's that. <laughs> <laughs> but I was saying it as a goof and they all took it real seriously <laughs> I'm your other co-host James Kerminsky. Kerminsky. <laughs> and this is our jerk wheat uh history podcast no that's bad don't use that nope oh, uh, already used sorry <laughs> On Paul's loose. on the loose We're very good at I was just like, oh, Kelly's probably right I love how you could call this big dummies Yeah, I actually enjoyed that too Now, are we sure about that? Uh, well, let me It's a quick Google search way, Paul uh, Hold on, I gotta, I'm gotta. i searching the tweets To see if anyone tweeted any quick. Nope Alright, well, that was a lot of errors <laughs> I have no idea how this is going to sound When it's all together But probably terrible where are your monkeys fans? I heard tell there were monkeys fans in the house. Somebody just knocked back. Oh, God. I think there's monkey fans downstairs. Where is the Beatles Nazi guy character going? What <laughs> the hell? Oofah. Uh. Oof! Uh,
1: I'll name him Luke. Um,
0: um. I was in a concert band when I was younger, uh, and I played drums. And you know, some days I just didn't want to play, so I would mime the drumming and <laughs> let everybody else take over for me. Yeah. Uh, figuring nobody's gonna hear. You really stew, Sutcliffe, it, James? Um, yeah, 8th grade James is a real piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, James and I like to play this game, Who's Drunk Today? Well, why, why didn't Weird Al ever create an album called Weird Album?
1: He should. Oh, so you see, asking questions, very good way to find out about things.